Shalom, shalom, and welcome once again to Pearls of Wisdom. This is your friend and host, Pastor Eli Hernandez Moray, an elder for Bet Yeshua International and Yeshua Bet Navi. This week's portion is titled Vayakel. And in this week's Torah portion, we get to learn certain interesting things related to the Mishkan, creation, and the date of rest. Now, for those who don't know, this week's portion is found in the book of Exodus, chapter 35, verse 1, all the way to chapter 38, verse 20. My recommendation is that before you start listening to this podcast, please open your Bible and read a little bit before you start listening to me, okay? Yes, don't be lazy. I ain't going to give you everything. <laughs> so just go grab your Bible and read from chapter 35 to chapter 38, only three chapters, and let's learn a little bit about Vayakel and what the Creator is trying to tell us on this week's portion. Now, if you already did your homework and you have already studied this portion using either my PDF files on ybnonline.org or listening to any other teacher, well, you will probably notice that this week's portion is related to the Sabbath and to the Mishkan. That's right. If you look at this portion in detail, uh, the message is centered on the Mishkan, the tabernacle, and the laws of Shabbat. And according to this week's portion, we learn about certain things that we are not to do on the Sabbath, and that includes work. You are not to do work on the Sabbath. Now, my question to you is, what is work for you? Because I can guarantee you that if I ask this question to someone, the definition and the meaning of the word work would change. For example, let's say on a Saturday morning, you want to get up and go and do a marathon. Let's say you want to run for a mile, two miles. It's your day off. You're not making any money. And if I said to you, well, you might be breaking Shabbat. You say, well, not really, because I am not working. Hmm. Now, for the priests in biblical times, they were obligated to work on the Sabbath. So they did not, listen to this, happen to enjoy their arrest if they were working in the Mishkan. If they were working in the Mishkan, most likely they were performing things on the Sabbath. But if you ask the priests on biblical times, they will say, well, I am not actually working. I am doing the Lord's work. <laughs> so the meaning of the word work, or in Hebrew, melacha, could change from person to person. And it's because of this, uh, in particular, that we get to see in the Talmud, the sages, um, basically numbering 39 different things that you are not to do on the Sabbath. That's right. The Talmud actually answers these questions and in details, in details, because they actually list 39 different categories of work along with all their subcategories and sub-subcategories <laughs> of what you're not to do. You cannot carry a stick. You cannot do certain things. I mean, there is a lot of different things that you're not to do on the Sabbath, according to the sages. And then you might ask, well, well, where did the sages came out with this idea? I mean, the sages said that you're not to do certain things based on what? How did they come out with 39 alakas? Right? Well, believe it or not, they just went to the Torah to learn this principle. Yeah, they went to the, to the Parsha of this week and they said, well, based on this week's Parsha, we are not to do this, 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 this and that. But the truth of the matter is that when you read this week's Parsha, it doesn't give you any details about, about what you are not to do on the Sabbath. 
for example. Let's read Exodus chapter 35, verse 1, verse 1 to 3. Listen to what it says. Moses called the community of Israel, and he assembled them together, and he said to them, These are the things that the Lord commanded to make. Six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you should have a date of rest, a date of complete rest to the Lord. Whoever performs work thereon on this day should be put to death. And verse 3 says, You should not kindle fire in any of your dwelling places on the Sabbath day. Now, if you read at these verses, there is not a lot of information of what you are not to do. If anything, kindling fire on, 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 on the Shabbat could be used as, well, you are not to lit fire. But is that really what he's saying? That you're not to kindle fire on Shabbat? I mean, what would it take for someone to kindle fire on Shabbat? What it would mean for someone to go to the woods, cut some wood, right? Sweat, work, walk, carry sticks. So obviously his body is now resting. So it's not just that you're not to kindle fire. It's everything that is done prior for you to kindle fire. Okay? So that's only one perspective. Now, let's say you didn't know anything about the Sabbath. Let's say you're just starting to serve Messiah on a Hebrew kosher way. What will be to you? How you will keep Shabbat? How will you keep this day holy? Because the text only says you're not to do any work. But again, how will you know what works or melacha in Hebrew really means? What is the of limits of the word melacha? Because again, we just follow. We just see certain things on YouTube. We just learn certain things from certain rabbis. And we start imitating because we believe that how they do things is how things should be done. But again, I believe that there is a connection between the Mishkan, creation, and the Sabbath. And these three different themes will clear out the answer of what you are to do and not to do on the Sabbath. So again... There is a connection. There is 39 different laws according to the rabbis. The word, the word work could change from person to person. But again, in order for you to understand the meaning of the word work, you must go to the context of the Hebrew word. The Hebrew word that appears in the test is melacha. Now, we must answer the meaning of melacha. And how are we going to answer this question? Well, very simple. Let's go to scripture, through scripture actually, and let's see where this word was mentioned the very first time. But for that, we're going to make a pause. That's right, you're going to take some notes, and I will see you on the next podcast. Shalom, shalom, and welcome once again to Pearls of Wisdom. This is your friend and host, Pastor Eli Hernandez, Moray for Bet Yeshua and Yeshua Bet Navi. And on this episode, which is the second part for this week's portion titled Vayakel, we're going to discuss the meaning of the word Melacha. On the first episode, you hear me saying how the rabbis decided to come out with this idea where the Torah identifies 39 categories of things that you are not to do, 39 categories of work that you are not to do. 
they came up with this 39 category subcategories and sub subcategories and you might be asking okay where did they come out with all these different categories related to what you're not to do on the sabbath i explained to you they they actually went to the torah the torah actually could give you a glimpse of what you are not to do on the sabbath if you're able to connect the dots now the first three verses are very clear right they are very clear it says that you're not to work on the sabbath but as you hear in the first episode the meaning of the word work could change from person to person so how can we get a solid evidence of, of scripture of what you are not to do on the sabbath you hear me saying that in order for you to understand that you have to understand what took place in creation and the building of the mishkan That's right. It turns out that the sages weren't just looking at the first three verses of chapter 35 of the book of Exodus. They were actually looking at the very next topic in the parsha. If you read this parsha from chapter 35, you will notice that immediately after the verses related to the Sabbath, we are told about the commandments related to the construction of the Mishkan. So the sages took notice of this and they noticed how the Sabbath and the Mishkan are discussed uh, one right after another on the same test. So they came up with the conclusion that if you want to know what you're not to do on the Sabbath, just look at what the people did when they were constructing the Mishkan. In the section of Shabbat 49b in the Babylonian Talmud, it says, to make the Mishkan, the people wove beautiful linen, so no weaving on the Sabbath. They use a range of colors to dye linens, so no dyeing on the Sabbath. So you see, the sages identified these 39 different activities that were used to build the Mishkan. And they said, you see that? Everything that it was done to build the Mishkan, you are not to do on Shabbat. Hmm, interesting. And the answer of why they decided to connect the dots in such a way, it has to do with creation. I mean, it's one thing to understand the legal, uh, 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 you know, the legal phase of why they're coming up with this idea. But let's ask a broader conceptual question. Is there some deep connection between the Sabbath and the Mishkan that we're supposed to see? Because at first glance, these two things seems to have nothing to do with one another. Let's be honest. Aside from the fact that they appear back to back on the same parsha, why would the Creator ordain that our experience in the Sabbath should derive from what the people did to make the Mishkan? What are we What are we meant to understand from that? Right? You can't help but feel some type of uh, feeling like it's just don't I just don't get it. Well, let's start by looking at one of the verses which describe the Mishkan and we'll see if we can somehow have any clues and connect the dots. Let's go to verse 21 of chapter 35. It says, Every man whose heart uplifted, uplifted him came and everyone whose spirit inspired him to generosity brought the offering of the Lord for the work, Melacha, of the tent of meeting for all its service and for the holy garment. Do you see it? In the middle of this verse, the word work appears. And by the way, 
it's not just work because there's different words for work in Hebrew. It's actually the word melacha. Melacha. That's the very same word that we find on the principles of the Sabbath. That you're not to do any type of melacha. So you see, so there is other words in Hebrew for work. And melacha has a very special definition. So in order for you to understand what melacha means, you must see what God is asking the people not to do on the Sabbath, what the people did during the construction of the Mishkan, and what the Creator did at creation. You see, this word melacha is like a link that is connecting Shabbat and the Mishkan. And it turns out that this is a very key word in order to understand the deeper connection between these two different concepts. In order to see it, we will need to trace the word melacha all the way to the beginning. At the beginning of creation is where we get to see the word melacha the very first time. Let's go to the book of Genesis chapter 2 verse 2. And God completed on the seventh day his work, melacha that he did and he abstained on the seventh day from all his melacha that he did there are certain principles that I teach on laws of interpretation and one of them is the law of first mention you see we get to see this word melacha connecting Shabbat and the Mishkan and in order for us to understand the deep meaning of it we must go back to the beginning and the first time where we get to see the word melacha mentioned is in creation. Is when God created the world, the world, and now on the seventh day he's resting from all melacha. Right? He rested on the seventh day from all the work that he did. So based on this verse, how you would define the term melacha? Because we know that God was not making money when he created the world. He was creating the universe for you and I. The verse says that God was abstaining from all the melacha that he did. So the term melacha seems to refer to everything God did when he created the world. Making light, separating waters, sprouting vegetation, forming luminaries, creating animals, and so on. If you look at what's happening in the Mishkan, we are creating a universe for the creator as well. Well, guess what? You better put this in pause because things are about to get a lot better. See me in the next podcast. Shalom, shalom once again. And here we are with the third part of this week's portion titled Vayakel. And on the last episode, we were talking about how the word Melacha is the link connecting the laws of the Sabbath with the Mishkan. And now we're going back to the very beginning to see where this word was mentioned the very first time. As you hear me saying this before, there's different words in Hebrew for work. And melacha happens to have a very particular meaning. It's not just any type of work. It's actually creative work. It has nothing to do with money. Now, the first time that we get to see the word melacha mentioned 
is in Genesis chapter 2 verse 2 when God completed everything, all his work on the seventh day. According to the test, he abstained on the seventh day from all his melacha that he did. So based on this verse, my question to you is, how will you define the term melacha? Because as you can tell and see, God was not making money when he created the universe. So this has nothing to do with money. It's something beyond that. The verse says that God was abstaining from all melacha that he did. The term melacha seems to refer to everything God did when creating the world. And as you heard me saying before, that means when he was making the light, separating water, sprouting vegetation, forming luminaries, creating animals, and so on. So now, let's use the biblical dictionary, right? Using the scripture to interpret scripture. Let's compare these two kinds of melacha, because depending on which verse you look at, you will end up with a very different definition of the word melacha. If you look at the Mishkan, your definition will change. For example, Melacha in the Mishkan has to do with the work that Israel did to build the tabernacle. But when you look at the book of Genesis, the definition of the word Melacha is the work that God did to create the world. Now, think about these two different definitions. What do they have in common? What do they have in common? Because I can guarantee you, that the key to understand what's really going on in here is basically looking at it from God's perspective. The meaning of melacha from God's perspective. And let me make a bold claim right here. What if I told you that these two different acts, creating the world and building the Mishkan, are really one and the same? Because the key, as you hear me saying this before, the key here is understanding what God was really doing when he created the world. Once we see that, the connection to the Mishkan, and by extension, the loss of the Sabbath, will become clear. That's what you have to understand. That's what you have to see. So, what was God doing when he created the world? As we said it was a busy six-day schedule for the Creator. But if you were to take a snapshot of before creation and you will compare it to after creation, what would be the major difference between these two? I know it's, it's kind of weird to ask this question because before creation, from our perspective, there was nothing. And after creation, there was everything. Well... That's the thing, that's from our perspective. But what from God's perspective? Think about that statement, before creation there was nothing. Think about that for a minute. And after creation there was everything. That's a human perspective. But it's not really true. From God's perspective, it's not true at all. From God's perspective, there was everything. Everything that needed to assist from God's perspective, it was already there. Remember that God fills everything. God is everywhere. There's no way you can run or hide from the Creator. He's everywhere. So from God's perspective, there was everything. Let's put it this way. Imagine, right, that you have a mansion and you enjoy this mansion. 
And this mansion has everything that you need for you. It has the right furniture. It has the right people. It has the right floors. So from our perspective, that place is perfect. But then our wife or your wife gets pregnant. So from our everything, now we must create a specific place for that person that is about to be born. Now I'm not looking at the palace from my perspective. I want to create this special room for this child that he will be able to enjoy. This room needs to be in the perfect conditions for this child to enjoy this room. Because definitely this child is, is not going to need my, my, my precious marble floor. It's not going to need my beautiful curtains. It's not going to need anything that I believe that I have and I own. We must or I must create this special room in my everything to someone that has nothing. Okay? Let's put it this way. From the human perspective, it makes sense to say that before creation there was nothing. And after creation there was everything. You see, as humans, we live in a world of space and time. This universe with its stars, planets, uh, hydrogen and oxygen, you see, none of that existed before creation. Nothing. But if you are God, right, you don't need the stars. You don't need the planets, hydrogen, oxygen. I mean, from God's perspective, he doesn't need any of this in order to assist. Before creation, before all those things assisted, you were doing just fine. God is God. You, let's put you as, let's imagine that you are God. You are living in your own tremendous realm outside of space, outside of time. As hard as it is for us humans to imagine, God didn't need any of this because he had everything. You see, you were all that existed and there was everything. You will hardly say that before creation there was nothing because you feel everything. You see, the more you think about it from God's perspective, from God's point of view, creation didn't make everything. There was, there, there already was an everything. If anything, creation was almost a kind of diminishment. It was like God carved out of space in his everything, something for you and I. Something that God doesn't really need. You see, God doesn't need the light, the waters, vegetation, luminaries, animals, and so on. He doesn't need any of this. But you see, from God's perspective, he has everything, but he's creating something for you and I. You see, the Kabbalist, the people who study the, the Kabbalah test, and the Kabbalah philosophy, they call this Zimzum. Zimzum means contraction. Contraction. So God is contracting himself to make a space for something else to assist. He's creating a space within his everything for you and I to assist. Now, can we say that we did the same thing? 3,500 years ago when we were starting to build the Mishkan, are we contracting ourselves to make a space 
to the king of the universe. Remember, at first, God was all there was, and God decided to pull himself back from a little corner of existence so that something else, our world, could occupy that space. Now, the question is why God decided to do such thing. He, did, he definitely need, didn't need any of us. I was sharing this with the congregation, and I was speaking about how the only organ in a woman's anatomy and body um, serves no purpose for the woman herself. The uterus, the womb, has no purpose for a woman. She doesn't need it. She can live without it. The only reason why she has that uterus, the only reason why she has that womb, is for someone else that is not her. You want to know more? Join me in the next podcast. Shalom, shalom, and here we are once again with the fourth episode of this week's Torah portion title, Vayakel. On my last episode, as we were studying this portion, I was trying to have you understand how from our perspective there was nothing, but from God's perspective there was everything. You hear me saying about how God on his realm, on his universe, on his space, outside of space, outside of time, he didn't need anything because everything existed, because God fills everything. God is everywhere. So from God's perspective, there was everything, but from our perspective, there was nothing. I was explaining how within the Kabbalistic mindset, this concept of simsum, it has to do when someone is contracting himself to make space for something else. And I was using the example of how there is a part in the woman's anatomy that doesn't serve any purpose to the woman herself. And we're talking about the womb. A woman could live without a womb. She cannot live without oxygen. She cannot live without light, without eating, without drinking water. But without a womb, it is possible for her to live. Because again, the womb serves no purpose for her. Because the womb, the uterus, is the only part in the woman's anatomy, in the woman's body, that it was created for someone else than herself. Now, keep this in mind. Um, as I ask you the following question. Why God needed to create space within his everything for you and I? If he happens to have everything, if he fills everything, and every inch of God's space is full of him, Why did he need you? Why did he need me? Why did he create this world? Well, for the same reason that many people have children. He wanted to grant life. He wanted to share life. A separated being that happens to possess free will. To whom he could give and with who he could form a relationship. God created the world out of love. That's right. 
You see, there are certain necessary elements for life. Yes, he had created our physical bodies and breathed into our nostrils, based in the book of Genesis, and we happen to receive at that moment breath of life. But before all that beautiful thing, right? Before all that moment, God had to prepare the world for us. Let me see if I can explain this again. I don't want you to get lost with my Ricky Ricardo accent. I'm trying my best here. Before he breathed, before he placed his breath of life in us, before all that, God had to prepare a perfect world for you and I. He created the sun to give us light and warm to keep you obviously warm during the cold. He made plans. You see, he created everything that you needed in order to assist. He created oxygen for you to breathe food for you to eat you see but god's works went even beyond that because in order to live in this world i don't know if you're aware of this we need more than just sun and plants we require a perfectly calibrated loss when it comes to physics we need a nuclear strong force and perfect ratio to a nuclear weak force. We need gravity. We need electromagnetism. We need the plants constants, the four laws of thermodynamics, and the list goes on. All these things are necessary and they need to be in perfect balance in order for you and I to enjoy this environment. All of these highly technical laws of nature God didn't need any of them. He can live without them with no problem. But the, the being that is being created, man, oh, he definitely needs this loss of physics in order for him to live on this earth. So God occupied himself. He contracted himself, taking care of every aspect of this new world in order for you and I to live in perfect harmony. God did everything out of love. The whole process of creation is, is like a womb inside of, the, of a woman's body. You see, the whole process of creating the world was a very much, uh, like you hear me saying, aching and similar to the biology of having a child. A womb is a space within a person that strangely enough isn't it there for the woman your whole body all of your organs every last one of them is all there to nourish your life except for one part of the human body and that isn't it that is that is there not for you it's there for someone else and that's the womb is a little piece of your everything which is carved out to make space to something which isn't it you and what is light inside of the womb? It is dark. The conditions have to be just right. Everything is optimized to give that baby what he needs. Because 
A baby that is being developed cannot exist outside of the womb. It needs that womb. Just like you and I, we need this world right now in order to enjoy life, creation. So let's recap. When God created the world, He was really carving out a space in His everything. He was creating a small apartment for you and I. And the reason why He did is because of love. To do so, God had to pay close attention to a bunch of highly technical laws related to physics. Even though He didn't need them, but you and I, yes, we do need them. So let's ask the question again. What is the similarity between God's creating between God creating the world and Israel building the Mishkan? Well, there are certain laws of physics that we need and there are certain laws of holiness that God did, that God actually needs. It's the same thing, guys. Israel was building the Mishkan for the creator. The people look at their everything. They look at their universe, at everything that they own. The universe of space and time. And they say, you know what? We are going to carve out of our little section of our little world a space for the creator. In doing so, they had to pay attention to a lot of highly technical laws. For an example... The loss of Tumah, the loss of Tahara, impurity, impurity, the loss of what is sacred and profane, the loss about color, what material and precisely what size the inner curtains needed to be. These are laws that have nothing to do with the human realm. We don't need them in order to assist. We can assist outside the Mishkan. But you see, these laws are not for us. These laws are for the Creator. Because in order for Him to have relationship with you and I, we need to understand the relationship of what is sacred, what is profane, what is pure, what is impure. You see, if you call yourself the Mishkan Adam, if you call yourself the Tabernacle of God, then you must observe these laws. You, you have to observe these laws of purity. If you want God to have relationship with you, yes, you have to. Because the Mishkan is nothing but a small apartment for God to dwell in. And why you want God to dwell in that little apartment? Because of love. Because you want God to continue working in your life. Isn't it that the way we, 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 we speak to the Creator? When we do certain things, when we go fasting, when we abstain from eating non-kosher animals when we keep the Sabbath, what are we trying to say to the Creator? I am here creating a world for you. I am here sanctifying this little space of mine so you could dwell in. That is the word Melacha. It's used in two different places to describe God's creation and to describe Israel's creation. Yes, one involved forming the sun and the stars while the other involves weaving and dying currents. But the fundamental key here 
is they are really the same thing, creating a home for one you love. So now we're finally ready to come back to the question about the Sabbath. Why do we look at the Mishkan of all places to derive the laws, the laws of what is prohibited to do on the Sabbath? Well, we look at what God did in creation. As you can see, it has nothing to do with money. Everything is perfect. So if everything is perfect, nothing needs to be created. When it comes to the Sabbath, everything is perfect. Your husband is perfect. Your wife is perfect. Nothing needs to be corrected. It's about creating a space. It's about creating a place of love and acceptance. It's about you linking you with him. It's about you becoming um, echad, one people. If you remember, when God rested from all melacha, he did it when he created that special apartment for you and I. Man was not even created. That was God's Sabbath. That was the creator's Shabbat. So now we rest from Melacha. Nothing has to be created. We don't have to create nothing because everything is perfect. You see, this is why we get our laws of what we are not to do on the Sabbath. Because I understand that we're dealing with a lot of trauma, with a lot of drama, with a lot of issues in life. And the principle of the Sabbath is to enjoy creation. You don't have to create nothing else because everything is perfect. All you have to make sure is that that little apartment of yours is optimized to the laws of holiness, sanctity, and purity. And get close to the Creator. Get close to your family. Get close to your children. They're perfect. They don't need to be fixed because it's Shabbat. If there's anything that I could share with you, is that when God told the people of Israel to build him, build him the Mishkan, he actually assigned Moses with a specific person that was going to help him to create that precious furniture that it was going to be used on the Mishkan. Bezalel, the son of Uri. And it's interesting because the word Bezalel, it has to do with a shadow. Yeah, Bezalel, Bezalem. It has to do with an image, something that is identical. When you read Exodus chapter 35, verse 30 to 31 says, Moses says to the children of Israel, See, the Lord has called, has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Ur, of the tribe of Judah. He has imbued him with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with insights, and with knowledge, and with talents for all manners of work. He was a designer. And God, the person that God called is Bezalel, which means the image of God. So the Mishkan and creation has the same message. In one way, God is creating the world for us. In another, we are creating a world for him. If the Mishkan 
is the ultimate example of our of of our system and we imitating god in some way shape or form then it makes perfect sense that bezalel he who is in the image of god it makes perfect perfect sense for him to build it bezalel is the one who realized the vast potential of humanity to be like god he represents all of us he represents the collective potential of humanity he is our agent in a way to realize our very humanity so again when god says let us create men to our image and likeness that didn't stop in genesis that continue here today with us let's continue building a mishkan for the king of the universe shalom